Welcome to Coming Attractions, your field of dreams for all things movies, television and pop culture. Straight out of the cornstalks here, I have Joe Frost and Nick Milligan. How are you doing, friends, comrades? Very well, Fleggy. Very well. Excellent, excellent. Um, you know, build it and it looks like they've come. <laughs> Got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, anyway, we'll move well past that. Let's talk about Logan. So, we've all gone to see this one. It's the latest Hollywood blockbuster out starring Australia's very own Hugh Jackman. Nick, I understand you've uh, got a take on, on the film itself. Let's hear it. Yeah, let's give everyone a quick rundown. Uh, in the third solo Wolverine movie, Logan, we find the Hirsute clawed mutants in the year 2029. The future is recognisable, though slightly dystopian. Logan, again played by Hugh Jackman, is older and wearier. We learn in the opening scene in which a group of heavies attempt to strip the limousine that Logan now makes a living driving that our beloved hero doesn't quite bounce back the way he did in previous X-Men movies. His adamantium claws don't burst from his hands with the same deadly precision and he heals a lot more slowly. We learn that Logan is hiding the powerful but very frail Professor X, again played by Patrick Stewart was kept in a large metal container for the protection of others. They're, they're assisted by Caliban, played by Stephen Merchant. They are some of the few surviving mutants. A nurse pays Logan to take a young girl to North Dakota, the location of a mutant safe haven. Evil forces want the girl back in their possession. This is a gritty, powerful road movie slash western that is ultra-violent and ultra-moving. It's unlike any of the other X-Men movies. So, gentlemen, what did we uh, make of Logan? I thought it was fantastic, if I was to be honest with you. By and large, the best of all of the Wolverine films. And I would take into consideration even the work that's done with Singer's X-Men films, which really broke him into the Hollywood stratosphere as an A-lister and somebody who's gone on to have a fairly prolific cinematic career as well but this you mean Hugh Jackman or Brian Singer I'm talking Hugh baby yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it its tone is just completely different to anything I've really seen not just in that particular arm of Marvel or sorry of the franchise that they have going now as far as the superhero numbers are concerned but it's it just feels like it's its own beast there's not really anything quite like it what did you think Joe um, it's it, like you say, just completely different. They've they've never done well. I mean, we'll, we'll discuss Deadpool in time, but even Deadpool, it's it's completely different to anything that's been done in this sort of X Men universe. And um, oh, I loved it. I suppose I should get that out of the way. Uh, but it was um, I guess just almost, and I think it's worth discussing is it felt like a completely standalone film. Um, there were references back to previous incidents, the things that had happened in their, their other stories, but it, it didn't, it didn't sort of make a big effort to go. And here's where this all fits in within the, you know, the context of the other films and here's where the others are and here's what else is going on. It's just like, look, here's what you got. Logan, uh, Professor X, Caliban, and and this mystery, mysterious girl, and you go from there. And really, that's all you get, and it's all you need. 
Um, Nick, what did you think? Again, I concur. I thought I was really, really impressed by it. I think, you know, we talked about the trailer uh, when that was released and how we really hoped that the trailer would be a, a good sort of, um, you know, summar- summary of, of the movie and uh, and the tone of it you know, in particular. And, and it was. That's what we got. We got this really gritty, uh, dystopian future for Logan. Um, I think what we by surprise a little bit was, was how violent it was. Uh, but the violence was handled in a really tasteful way. There was there was consequences to the violence, and and perhaps to previous violent acts as well. That thematically was something that carried on. You know, Logan has always been by and large a brawler, uh, mm. as you'd mentioned before as well. Uh, who, who can bounce back? And things were finally catching up to this character, and he was aware of the consequences of his actions. Uh, well, that it was, was fantastic. It. it wasn't just physically that it was catching up with him, you know? He, he sort of had this this real weight and this, as you said, weary. There's a real tiredness about him, and he was still, I mean, <laughs> apparently to prepare for the role, um, Hugh Jackman was hitting the gym for three-hour sessions, and he still looks... <laughs> he's ripped as fuck. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a different kind again. And actually, it's been an interesting thing to watch throughout these Wolverine films is the way that Hugh Jackman has prepared himself physically for them. And initially, he just bulked up and was, you know, a, a very believable, beefy guy. Uh, I can't recall which one it was, but one of the films, he said he styled himself on Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. Right. That really wiry very veiny sort of look yeah um so you know he cut down and and lost a lot of weight to give him that sort of appearance whereas this time he's he's bulked up again um he's bigger but he's still i don't know he's he's gnarled isn't he and well they made him look haggard Mm. his skin looks weather damaged and he just looks like he's aged there's even a vein that pops out of the side of his head He, he he is carrying that very aged look it is isn't it interesting though that it's a character that you know Closer to 20 years ago now than 10, when he was first introduced, he was already very wary. He was a man who had gone through a lot and was struggling with his own sense of identity having lost it and this animosity that exists inside of him. It must be difficult, and I believe that many actors perhaps would have a lot of difficulties trying to evolve that to the point in which the Logan that we see in this film is currently at. You know, He was there... 16 or so years ago and this is the to the point where he's like I just don't want to do this anymore I've had my fill of trying I've tried and I've tried and the consequences of trying weigh on me far more heavy than perhaps they did in Singer's original X-Men when we first were introduced to Logan as a character so Certainly a very measured performance. I'd like to get your take on perhaps some of the other performances in the film as well. What do you think? Well, I just wanted to quickly note, you know, it's worth, it's worth pointing out that Jackman's probably a much, much finer actor. I think it's 18 years he's been doing it. So mm-hmm. he's a much finer actor now. And what he, he puts into Jackman in this, sorry, into, into Wolverine this time is, is a lot of nuance. And yeah, the, all, all those sort of previous performances have all sort of fed towards this one. But in terms of the, uh, the other performances, I mean, yeah, I mean, Patrick Stewart, is uh, it's probably his finest performance as Professor X, and and Stephen Merchant's worth worth a mention too as Caliban. He he plays it. He's not a comic relief as some people might have expected him to be, being a, you know a comedic actor. Uh, it's a, it's a serious role, and he brings a lot of pathos to to Caliban. I he thought. he nearly has nearly like a a housewife kind of feel in moments as well. Mm. He he's nearly the the social glue for 
society's small band of mutant outcasts that yeah. live together, which is um, a very interesting role for him to take on board. Yeah. I think an extension of what you're saying there as well, I mean, they're essentially some of the three big actors that are there. Now, obviously, I can't remember the name of the young girl off uh, the top of my head. Daphne Keane. Daphne Keane. Again, a fantastic and very physical role for somebody so young, but it carried uh, just with 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 such intent. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's giving away too much inside of the film, but by and large, there's not a lot of speaking uh, moments for this character Perhaps it's not needed, uh, but I mean, it certainly didn't feel like it was for me because the physicality of what she's doing is—it's—it's it's quite intense to see. It's—it's—it's it's, it's quite incredible. Some of the set pieces, the way in which they play out. I think for a child actor to convey the kind of hurt and pain that she expresses without saying a single word is really impressive. Sure, um, it can be very difficult to give um, that level of depth from just a look, and and she nailed it. This mm. this girl is gonna, well. You know, you don't, you don't want to make dramatic predictions, but I think she's got a big career ahead of her. She was fantastic. And I know, Joe, uh, we've spoken in previous uh, Coming Attractions podcasts as well about how when a performance can be hammed up, it can really pull you out of the narrative. And you mm. feel like you're just at the cinema watching. At no point did I feel like that had happened during this film. And that's because, I guess, what the rich tapestry is. They've, by and large, used a, a relatively small cast. You know, there's probably half a dozen characters that really get the lion's share of screen time, and that works fantastically as well. Everyone gets their moment in the sun, and and um, I, I think that was really important that they did that. And that's, I suppose, what brings a little bit of the adult content to it. It's not just the, the hyperviolence that may exist in some scenes. It's the fact that it feels real. The, the, the emotions that are conveyed take it well outside of the superhero genre and create what is a really gritty drama. Well, there are those moments where I think we might have discussed it a little bit off off screen. Where I, I don't know that I'd heard Patrick Stewart swear before. Yeah. He's this, you know, fantastically revered yeah. and and respected Shakespearean actor, and he's like, "Fuck off, Logan!" And you go, "Whoa, <laughs> hey, oh!" And that wasn't, you know, it wasn't a one-off either. You know, they spoke in very raw terms. These are people uh, in a very intense situation and emotion boils over at times but they're tired old men as well yeah. and i think that's what it's about you know they're the um the diplomacy and the eloquence that uh professor xavier has held throughout all of the other films inside of the x-men franchise is really a requirement of him both as an educator both as him as somebody who is presenting this subsect of human beings to the world he needs that eloquence because any misstep that he makes will portray this group of people in a negative light towards the larger society. But he's over it at this point. Yeah. And so, and that's fantastic. Uh, it's it, it, it plays out so well. It makes and, a point of saying that he's in his 90s and he's just had enough. Mm. Well, by having, I think that it's actually the first thing that he says almost on screen is, fuck off, Logan. It's, it's certainly one of the first things he says. Mm. And, it, and that definitely signals the film's intent from there on in. The second you hear him swear, you it, it tells you you're watching a very different kind of X-Men movie. Mm. It just it's that simple little device. That, you know, this is this is a this is the X Men movie for adults. That's, that's what we're getting, and they play it for realism. And mm. we didn't want to we didn't want to delve too deep into it, but um, tits, tits <laughs> in an X Men movie. I didn't want to bring it up at all, but here yeah. we are talking about it. 
Marvel have freed the nipple. Yeah, <laughs> finally. Yeah, mm. so we're we're but going for a hashtag on that one. I think Nick, yeah. Nick coined it. Mm. Was, was and a lawsuit shortly after <laughs> as well. Uh, it's funny because Deadpool introduced pegging, which I, th- I thought you would have seen tits in the Marvel franchise before we saw pegging. But anyway, happened eventually. We got there yeah, eventually. Yeah. But uh, it's true. I mean, th- this, is, this is an R-rated film. It's not for kids at all. I mean, the violence um, is, is extreme. And uh, and quite it high impact when it happens. Really is, isn't because it? Because they've always t- t- basically tamed and toned down the the violence of, of Wolverine, like, basically to keep it to a PG. Uh, he has claws that cut through human flesh like a hot knife through butter. Mm. Uh, and they've always implied it. You've always you see him put his hands in someone's chest and you hear the blades extend and, and you know, you've never seen them go through someone's skull for example which you see quite a lot of in this so you see them come out it's the a back. tell but don't People show scenario yeah. isn't it yeah. and they're all it's just on for all money in this one as well mm. it reminded me of being a kid and watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and you had the uh, Donatello and, and Michelangelo who had these blunt instruments versus Leonardo and Raphael who had blades yeah and Leonardo and Raphael kicked everybody. And I was like, what are you doing, man? You've got two massive swords. Why aren't you chopping this dude? Mm. And, he, and that was always it. It was, you know, I, they were... Whoop. <laughs> They were they were sort of props. They were for effect. They they never did any cutting, and it was a bit like that with with you know Logan. All right, like you say, they would sort of imply that it had happened. It was yeah. done in I guess a, well a PG sort of way, which is what you got to do if you're going to have that kind of audience. Uh, and no, like you say, this time around they they went for it. We can talk at length about how measured the performances were, how great the narrative was as well. But let's talk just briefly about some of the set pieces in the film because without going too far in, there is one fantastic moment in the first third of the film which involves, uh, we've mentioned a limousine, let's just say it it has elements of a Mad Max Fury Road scenario, uh, you know, backs against the wall style thing, you know, this hulking, I think it's a Chrysler, I can't remember what what kind of limo it is. Something like that, yeah. It's a pretty schmick limo at the start. Not so much by the end of the scene, but how fantastic was that set piece? Not even just in the driving sense, but just some of the uh, some of the choreography, I guess, that exists between all of the characters that are involved. There. I know we can't go too far into that, but I'd just like to get your you know um, general take on what you thought about that particular scene. Well, it was all part of the, the tone of the movie was they're going for some kind of realism in the same way that what what Nolan did with the Dark Knight as well. Like when there were car chases, when there were a stunt or a set piece of some kind. It was still grounded in some kind of reality. And this is a very wonderfully staged escape, I suppose we'll say, uh, involving a chain link fence and cyclists. And it's it's very Mad Max. A succession of cars were involved outside yeah. of this one car we're talking as well. This is a, it's a big, it's a production. Yeah. yeah. I, I think all of us collectively went, wow, like when this when this moment happens, we were like, that, that's that's impressive. Popcorn fell out of my mouth at one stage. <laughs> I, I nearly choked. I had to go for the, the big gulp Coke for a little bit just to try and get it down. There was too much happening. And particularly because... It was directed by James Mangold, who also did, uh, I believe it was called The Wolverine, the second of the three that was set in Japan, of which nothing stood out for me. I I don't, I couldn't tell you anything. I feel like maybe at the end there's some sort of mech suit showdown. It's yeah. just, it was a really forgettable film. And this this has just, I mean, it, it, I would have had no indication that it was the same director. Um, and I guess... A, a final thing that I think is really worth touching on is 
what a massive positive this is for the future of what was, I guess it would be... It would be a stretch to say that it was a struggling industry because, you know, there's all this money behind it, but the superhero film genre really felt like it was flagging a little bit. We've seen, you know, X-Men was near the start of it. We're talking the better part of 20 years on. What are they going to do to reinvigorate? And $300 million later, after the the opening weekend, there's a lot of time to run for Logan in cinemas. Mm. They've shown that there is absolutely an audience and a market for an adult film about these characters. I hold, I wholeheartedly agree, and I think perhaps one of the reference points we should use here for this is the Harry Potter franchise. Now, obviously, was it 16 or 17 years we've seen this Wolverine character in action now, and the audience has grown. I mean, really, from a production sense, from, from uh, you know, from whoever's, you know, ticking the boxes when it comes to making an R-rated Wolverine film... It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because the audience that's known him from day dot are now old enough to go to these films and they probably want that from this character as well and they've got it in spades. Exactly, yeah. That's basically it. And I think we also need to you know, mention the fact that uh, the success of Deadpool too, uh, you can really uh, attribute Lo- Logan's existence to. Uh, that film, you know, won a $56 million budget, made like $600 million, uh, you know, Almost Absolutely. didn't get made about a dozen times. He, he was in development hell for Ryan Reynolds. You know, he he uh, he, he begged for that role in the, the original Wolverine movie, and they totally uh, sort of stuffed up his character. And he even then he was like, "No, I want to make the Deadpool film that should have been made." Uh, and he proved that you, you know you can make an R-rated superhero movie, a and, superhero comedy film as well. Yes, which is a comp- like a dark adult humor that you know Guardians of the Galaxy may touch on, but never. I mean, this is. It's it's fisted that idea, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I mean, I just I just love the fact that you know that they, they play this with a straight bat, so to speak. Like it's hard to take, you know, these crazy characters and superhuman powers and all these fantasy elements and actually make a, a serious adult drama, and and ground that in some kind of reality. And and that's it's it's takes some balls and you know kudos to them. I think they they pulled it off here. Well, apparently Jackman took a a cut to his salary. Right. Said, I will work for less to make this the film that, that we want it to be. He might have got a bit of a percentage, I'd say. Uh, oh, I'm sure he didn't struggle out of it. He would wheel and or deal, I imagine, when yeah. it came to the well, amount of money. There's no other actor that they could, could have made it with, basically. He's got that power. So 100%. Uh, look, it was this uh, Logan was made for a budget of $97 million, And as you said, it's already grossed $300 million in the US in its opening weekend. And I think we'll see it you know, surely go north of, of half a billion and and and, uh, and upwards, so it's a, it's a big success. Fun, and, yeah, fun fact success. about our Hugh, uh, he so he did uh, X Men in the year two thousand, September nineteen ninety nine. He sang the national anthem at the NRL grand final. So there you go. That was sort of the level of fame he was at. You know, he's, happy he's, to he's gone backwards with what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Look, let let's wrap let's wrap this uh, you this can't up. Top that. What would we? What would we rate this film out of five buckets of blood-covered popcorn? <laughs> yeah. um, I'd, I'd, I'd give it four adamantium claws out of five, I think. I'm, I'm tossing it up between four and a half, but I, I don't know whether it's quite that good. But it's certainly... I was certainly on the edge of my seat for the whole thing. Loved the whole movie. I, I'd almost want to go and see it a second time. I enjoyed it so much. But I'll go with four. Four stars. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, I guess films that really you know get 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 you right here um and i never expected that from 
a superhero film to, you know, sort of be a little bit teary in parts to sort of really, really, um, you know, hit you in the feels. And Logan did it with a plum, um, which, yeah, again, I think I'd have to go four stars and yeah, maybe the four and a half again. It's worth the second watch. Definitely, yeah. I would happily go with four and a half. I'm a bit of a superhero film tragic, but seeing this shattered man still looking for his way, still trying to find his way in a world that wants to really forget him at this point is it's just something that makes the whole film particularly magical. And I just think all of the elements are right for this one. It, it, it was a really, really fun ride. At no point did I feel like anything was bogged down inside of the film as well. So four and a half for me. Go see it. It's great. We'll be back shortly with Coming Attractions. Hello and welcome back to Coming Attractions. We're now going to chat about the recent M. Night Shyamalan film Split. And Dan Flagg is now going to give us a brief rundown on the movie. Thank you, Nick. Kevin, played by James McAvoy, suffers from dissociative identity disorder and is struggling to maintain control of his many personalities. Things take a particularly dark turn for the worse when it's revealed one of Kevin's personalities has kidnapped a group of young girls and is holding them prisoner. Captives Claire and Marsha use their time in isolation to plan their escape. However, fellow prisoner Casey, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, realises it may take more cunning to avoid their captors' nefarious intentions. They may feel like the description reveals too much, but... This hand is shown remarkably early in the piece. Really, it's a pretty sensible attempt from Shyamalan to bottleneck the thrill of unpredictability that this film is chasing. I'll probably stop there and just maybe talk a little bit about what we think of McAvoy in this film. I know that people had concerns about how divisive playing somebody with a a mental illness like this can be. And for every, you know, for every Rain Man you know, there's obviously a water boy. <laughs> well, really, yeah, a water boy, uh, a little Nicky. You know, really, an Adam Sandler film. An Adam Sandler film. <laughs> so I know that that was of chief concern, but personally, I feel as though McAvoy puts in a career best performance in this one. Is that something that you guys would agree with? I think the whole film hinges on his performance in this. It, it is it is everything, really. Um, I mean, there's obviously a plot that exists, but uh, the story requires an actor of his skill. And I'm sure there's other actors that could have probably done it. There are definitely chameleon performers. I mean, um, a Johnny Depp or someone probably would have had a fair old crack at it as well. But McAvoy is a really brilliant piece of casting for this. There is something creepy about his, his, his look in this movie physically. And he's able to actually make all of these characters come to life when he appears uh in these different different guises uh you you sort of believe that that person's there on the screen it's a it's, it's a remarkable performance and it's a shame it's in a sort of you know a low budget horror movie because he won't get any love from from any major awards i wouldn't think but he, he would be absolutely deserving of, of an academy award nomination i would think well i don't know if it's necessarily a shame that it's in a low-budget film. If we've learned anything from Shyamalan in recent years, he seems to work better with less. Yeah. Definitely. I, I mean, I haven't seen his most recent work, but I know his three last forays writer-director, which had a lot of money behind them. So After Earth with Will Smith and Jaden Smith. 
Yeah, uh, it, was, it was a Smith love fest. It was basically made for. I think Will wanted it made so Jaden could be in a film. Now that was over a hundred. That's all of Jaden's films. Mm. Mm. Yes, Got made because Will wanted Jaden to have a film. Yeah, that was over a hundred million dollars to make. The last Airbender was, I think, over a hundred and twenty. They they were both over a hundred million dollars to make, and they were both commercial and critical flops. Mm. Uh, this film, however, it's quite obvious early on that it's been made on a relative, you know, shoestring oh, it's, budget. It's, it's, it's a nine million taught. Um, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's hinged on the performances, and I think uh, they really got their money out of McAvoy because they're like, sweet, well, we'll get him to play six characters, but only have to pay him once. <laughs> and and look, that's the point of the film. I'm not having a go at him for it. Um, I think I think. Exactly what you said. Uh, there were any number of of, char- of actors who could have played the role. I didn't think McAvoy had it in him, and he absolutely nailed it. and And that was a big a big money saver for them. This was shot in mainly in these very small, tight locations. It, it felt was, like maybe half a dozen locations as well. Really, it's quite concise in in the locales in which they're using it. Again, it's just it's the emotions that's evoked by, you know, the few characters that exist inside of this film that really sell it. Yeah. And, um, and, and you know what? It's, uh, as much as it is, it's, it's a star turn from McAvoy. Uh, Anna Taylor Joy, uh, I felt was, um, Mm. excellent. She's, she's got this really strange look about her. Um, she's like, obviously very beautiful, but she's, I don't know if it's her eyes or what, but she just, she has a very odd sort of... Um, well, a little bit like Daphne in, in Logan as well, Daphne Keen, similar sort of... Um, facial angelic structure, facial, Yeah, yeah, something un- unusual about their appearance. Um, very striking looking. Yeah. But just very interesting to look at on screen. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like like you said, Shyamalan uh, has made a, a series of flops, really, uh, for quite some time. And, and I would argue that almost everything since this Sixth Sense has been uh, very problematic for me anyway. I'm not a, I haven't been a big fan, despite sort of trying to give him a chance and hoping he I'll, can I'll go into bat for a couple of his others. Yeah. Look, some are better than others, but, I, you know... I, I love Signs. Yeah, I, I, like, awesome. I, I liked Signs, but... I had a big problem with the the religious message at the end of the of the film. Um, the, the film ultimately being about the signs of the existence of God rather than aliens. It just had this very uh, sneaky uh, sort of religious message at the end, which I thought was you silly. Sneaky Christians. I know. I, I, they always do that. Um, Peddling it from an Indian director as well. <laughs> well, Mel Gibson, you know, putting putting the the cloth back on, so to speak, and. Like, you know, and, and the thing with the water was just, I don't know, I, like he, he always had the visuals and the atmosphere and you could see a master filmmaker, but he, he would kind of just get too convoluted, you know, and obviously the, the whole twist thing has become like a running joke for him. Mm. So um, he actually, he turned down Life of Pi um, right. and, and I'm, I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure he was born in uh, the same city where the whole thing sort of begins, where right. they have the zoo, where they have to sell it and everything gets shipped off from. And he was um, in deep talks. He developed it, I think, for um, maybe a couple of years and eventually it got to the point where he was like, everyone knows me as the twist director. I will ruin this film, this story, mm. if I if I direct it because people are going to be like, well, what's the twist? It kind of does have a twist, that movie. As Absolutely. Well. Yeah. 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 
Uh, and that was why he he bowed out. He was yeah. like, I, I I'll ruin it just just by having my name attached. Yeah. I think looking back at at Split, I think one of the things that really struck me with this film was that in a lot of ways it feels like it's the visual equivalent of diffusing a bomb in a lot of ways. Some of my favourite scenes uh, where the highest tension was wasn't necessarily when there was this, uh, you know, kaleidoscope of characters from McAvoy. It was when he was playing his seemingly most sane character and he was in a, uh, you know, a therapy session with uh, Dr. Karen Fletcher played by Betty Buckley. And really, the to and fro that existed there, knowing that there was this other thing that was happening in the background, made some of the best scenes in the film, even though nothing really, nothing immense happened. It was just, it was, it was, it was like a, it really was like a bit of a, a chess game in a lot of ways, just watching, watching them kind of play each other and seeing what their reactions were, but never, never raising a voice, never sometimes even raising an eyebrow, really it did feel like it was this weird psychological game that was going on and we knew what the outcome was and that that was fantastic well of course you know the relationship between psychiatrist and patient is is um, central to the sixth sense mm. that's the relationship um, between the, between Bruce Willis and, and the boy uh, so he's sort of i think he's gotten back to his roots in terms of actually focusing on dialogue and character and intention and not high concept stuff and Having these smaller budgets, I think the, the visit which he did with Bloomhouse, who are you know who do these low-budget horror movies and make a fortune, that was five million for the visit. This is nine million. So without without that reliance on heavy special effects and things like that, he's forced to go back to the old school sort of like a Hitchcocky intention, I suppose you can call it. You and know? he's best at that, as you've said yeah. there, and you can re- it's really noticeable as well. You know? Well, I think even you get these scenes without going too much into it where. Um, I don't know that they use CGI. It's, it's, there's some very jerky stuff towards the back end. Some stuff towards the end, I think. Yeah, yeah. That I was, but it's quite unnerving because you're so used to seeing things that are so smooth and so yeah. look so clean. And to see something that's done in this old older way was actually served the film better, made it scarier because you're like, oh, that's not the way people move. What's going on here? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know... Like like we were saying earlier, he's a guy that does more with less. You yeah. know, it, it, embrace your your challenges, and that's when you know, or your your limitations, and that's when you're going to make some of your best work. And clearly, nine million dollars. I don't know. Maybe maybe M Night's got a ten million dollar ceiling. No one give you more than ten million dollars. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a good idea. It goes back to the. I mean, I remember Robert Rodriguez sort of famously said he made, he made Desperado for like seven million, and you see that film and. By any stretch, that's a $40 million blockbuster. You know, it's just full of explosions and, and, and all these incredible set pieces. But he, he made it for $7 million. He said, he wrote a book about it, which is quite a famous book in, in film circles. And when you, he, he talks about having like, you can, if you've got like a, a, so much money, it's like a money hose. You can just hose away problems to do with plot and all these things that can go wrong. When you have a, a small budget, you are forced to be creative. You have no other choice but to be creative behind the camera. And uh, I, I think, that, you know, that example's held true for this. I was a friend who worked on the most recent Pirates film. Said he was like, and any problem that came up, Disney just went, just throw money at it. Just yeah. there, just make it go away. That, is it gone? Yeah. So he's been he's been forced. Shyamalan, with, I think, with Split, and the fact that it's actually, it, for mine, the best film he's made since The Sixth Sense. He's been forced to have this re- sort of renaissance sort of thing going on. So it's uh, it's great. It's great to sort of see him back, um, you know, showing us what he's capable of. 
I enjoyed the performances, particularly McAvoy's. It feels like somewhat of a return to form for Shyamalan, but it's certainly not his... I left the film just feeling a bit nothing, I suppose. Mm. I, I knew that there were elements that really stood up and, and made the film uh, certainly entertaining. And um, I don't know, past that, I was just like, I'm not, I, would, I, I wouldn't go see this. Like, I wouldn't hire it or download yeah. it or, or do anything like that. I, I feel like it's M. Night back in the right direction, but perhaps not ultimately to his best still, even though McAvoy was so fantastic in the film. There was a lot of emotional power to, to The Sixth Sense. I mean, I, I hate going, going back to that, but it really was an amazing movie because uh, it, it did have um, so, many, so many layers to it. This doesn't really have layers. It's, 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 a, it's a creepy thriller. Uh, that's really all it is. I don't think it reaches any great heights in terms of theme or no. you know, that sort of thing at all. So it's, it's a small film in many ways uh, with this incredible performance at its center. But I agree. Like I didn't walk away you know, completely elated in the same way I did from, from Logan. Uh, but I, I was certainly entertained by it. Um, but yes, it's, it's certainly no masterpiece. No. 100%. Joe, would you agree? And if you don't agree, why? <laughs> he, normally, he always agrees with us. So I'm expecting him to agree. <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I actually I do agree this time around. Uh, I, I mean, you know, it's a, if, if it's on telly, <laughs> and there's nothing else on. You know what I mean? it's, a, it's not Friday night. The I'm footy's take, not on. I'm going to take my phone to the toilet and take a jump. <laughs> That's the highest compliment you can pay a film. If there's nothing else on, I'll, I'll, I might watch it. That's about as good as it gets. No, no, I think I know exactly what you guys mean. It's not a, It's not a. well, I've got to see that one again. I'm not raving to my friends about it. I enjoyed it. Um, um, you know, I've got no regrets about paying the, uh, well, it was a February film. I got it for eight bucks. Oh. Although I ended up buying too many and three of them went to waste. So anyway, it probably wasn't. Um, it, 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 um, no, it, it, it wasn't. Um, I mean, again, we disagree about uh, Shaman films. I, I would rewatch Signs. I'd probably give The Village another watch. Yeah. Um, but mm. I don't know. Again, he, he hasn't got, like, not that they were like high, high concept, but he had like a, a sort of a bigger idea I felt behind them. And with this one, he's sort of just gone. He's ambitious. He's always been ambitious. Yeah, you can't deny him that. I know, no, no, but I don't. But he's feel put that this was. This wasn't he, a lot. He didn't. He didn't. You know, Under Armour or anything. This was. You know, he had a crack. He made a solid film. It's um, got some amazing performances. Even the tone you're describing this though, I think, is 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 what's so telling you about this film. I would say he's kind of underarmed it. He's made a conscious decision to say, "I'm only going to get so many chances in Hollywood trying to do this style of film again. I have this amount of money to do this film." I'm not going to take any chances. This You're going to get a cut and dry psychological thriller with a great performance from a impeccably solid actor. And you're going to walk away feeling relatively satisfied, but you're not going to be challenged by anything. And mm. whether or not that's the right step for Shyamalan, I'm not really sure. I don't know if that's the right thing that he should be doing because I'm kind of waiting for that fantastic next film that he's going to make that's going to have all the hallmarks of the things that made him great in the first place, not safe decisions moving forward for the sake of not angering or alienating people that are fans of the genre or perhaps some of his earlier work. Well, and he has discussed the possibility of doing a, a follow-up to this film, so perhaps we'll get it all then, but I think perhaps we should wrap. Um, sure. Nick, what, what what would you give it for a rating out of five? What do you, what do you say? I'll give it uh, three and a half personalities out of five. 
Mainly because <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I was going to give it three, but you know what? I, I think McAvoy's performance deserves another half point. Um, it really is. It's worth watching, I think, just for him. It's worth watching at least once. So three and a half for me. Three for me. One for M. Night not shitting the bed on this one. And two for McAvoy's performance. That's it. That's all I've got for you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go with three as well. Uh, and um, I guess two for McAvoy's performance and and one for M. Night managing to shoehorn himself in there again. He loves a cameo in his movies. And this Always. time around, he talks about chicken wings and hooters. So that's... <laughs> look at me. Look at me. <laughs> don't forget I'm, I'm here. Don't forget, don't forget M. Night. Look, thanks once again for tuning in to Calming Attractions. If you want to check out more, including uh, podcasts, reviews and the like, head to uh, comingattractions.com.au. We're fairly prolific on our Facebook these days as well. If you want to see the latest trailers, uh, get the latest uh, goss, movie info, things like that, certainly head to the Coming Attractions Facebook page as well. As always, Nick Milligan, Joe Frost, thank you for tuning in. Thank you very much. Pleasure. We'll see you next time.